Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. Today we are joined by Seth Bostad and Christy Bennett of Access Contemporary Music, otherwise known as ACM. Located in nearby Ravenswood at 1718 West Wilson, ACM is dedicated to integrating musical creativity into everyday life. They do so by presenting the music of living composers at the highest quality, fostering musical creativity in their storefront music schools and through commissions and partnering with composers, festivals, universities, and ensembles in cities throughout the world to build a global contemporary music network. ACM has pivoted this fall to host their annual Thirsty Ears Festival this weekend in a brand new way, which we cannot wait to discuss today in a special bonus episode of the podcast. Welcome, Seth and Christy. How are you both today? Doing good. Doing great. Awesome. Well, now we can dive right in. Um, We like to kind of start with asking you both if you can tell us a little bit about your backgrounds. We understand you're both musicians in your own right. So where'd you start? How'd you get so talented and how'd you end up at ACM? Or uh, I know Seth, you're the founder. So just walk us through a little bit about the history. Um, sure, yeah. So I'm a, a primarily a composer. I, I play piano, but uh, primarily I put my energy into composing and running ACM. And uh, generally composing is, is a pretty academic field. So you get out of school and then you, you do some more school and then you do some more school and then you try to get a job teaching at school. <laughs> um, so, you know, what I was finding when I got my master's degree and, and was hanging out with uh, normal people was they had no idea what, what I was uh, up to. And, and when you say you're a classical composer, it just opened up all kinds of questions. Well, what, what is classical music? Are you guys still trying to sound like Mozart? And I was like, no, I grew up on pop music. Why would I try to you know, sound like somebody from 150 years ago? Um, but I just, I'm drawn to the sounds of violins and cellos. And I always say that you know, people will always play the violin. So people like me will always want to write for it. Um, but realizing just how few people knew anything about it, I kind of uh, started slowly but surely to build this organization. And and I didn't know that that's what I was doing, of course, at the time. I just, you know, we got some musicians together and we started playing music by living composers. And then, you know, we realized that, that like all of the composers people think of, Mozart, Beethoven, et cetera, are all dead white dudes. So we started trying to program more diverse music to show that, you know, one of the great things about contemporary classical is that it's, it's embraced by people from all over the world. And, um, and then we, we realized that what we really need to do if, if people are going to learn what we're doing is to start a school. And so we started the school and um, then Thirsty Ears kind of came out of all of that. It's just like, well, there's all these negative stereotypes around classical music, like it's expensive and I have to wear my tux and I don't have a tux and I don't know when to clap and people are going to shush me and my pearls aren't as nice as hers, you know, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to just divorce the music from all of that and just say, look, if you could come out in a really fun setting and just listen to the music without any other extraneous crap, um, I think you would really like it. And so we started it five years ago in the street festival format. Um, and it was fun. We got a lot of press, you know, Chicago's first classical music street festival, or maybe the first anywhere. Um, and people came out and I was so pleased because that's what I was hearing. People said, oh my God, this music is awesome. It's so much fun. And you guys are all smiley and we're having a beer and this is really normal. And I was like, thanks. I don't know why classical music people make it so tricky, <laughs> you know, like it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, it's, the music is, is uh, yeah, I think it, that it speaks quite well, whether it's from 
300 years ago or, or, or from a composer who's writing today. Uh, of course, the, the fun of a composer today is they can talk to you. They can tell you what they're thinking, which is really nice. Um, but, you know, knowing that our audience was going to be people from Andersonville, Ravenswood, you know, Lincoln Square, Uptown, etc. We knew that um, you know, they, they may not know the classics either. So we chose in this one instance not to focus on contemporary music, which is our normal focus, but to broaden it. So we really do everything from Baroque up to, uh, up to modern. Um, so that's my background and Christy can tell you about hers. I'm primarily a jazz vocalist and uh, an educator. And I found ACM when looking for a teaching job and uh, immediately I mean, I remember from the first interview, anytime I mentioned anything about a creative, creative outlet for students or a creative way to engage students, that was, that was a good thing. Um, and it's been that way ever since. So um, being involved with things first as a teacher and now doing development at ACM, our focus has always been creativity first and really engaging everyone, like people from all different backgrounds with music and with creativity. So as the as the director of, of personnel and development, can you tell us a little bit about what that role entails, you know, in a normal year and kind of how you've shifted during the pandemic? Yeah, so in a normal year, um, development, we're, I'm doing a lot of fundraising and coming up with um, personnel is obviously keeping teachers engaged and anytime there's an opening, filling those, those openings. Um, this year, I mean, as a, an organization that really focuses on live performance, we really have had to shift everything. I mean, teachers needed to be shifted over to remote teaching. And um, I think we've, I think everybody's done a really great job of finding, there's lots of advantages to remote teaching as well. Like it's not all, um, it's not all uh, negatives. It's, there's a lot that can be done when you're engaging with a student in their own home that you can't do otherwise. Um, and then all of our in-person events, obviously, Thirsty Years is one of several, but um, all of our in-person events have had to shift big time. We do um, a fundraiser every year for the kids, the Moldo 2D Student Film Festival, where kids are creating original scores for short films that they've made. And that was, basically supposed to happen the weekend after everything shut down. So we had to kind of turn on our heels and uh, figure out a solution for that. So we did that remotely as well from home. And um, thirsty years it turned into, I mean, everybody's just itching to get outside right now too. So the beauty of the way we're doing this festival is that you get to go outside, not only to hear live music, but also just to be in your neighborhood and enjoy things that you walk by every day but didn't know as much about. I know Seth already mentioned Thirsty Ears Festival launched five years ago um, over on Wilson right by your storefront um, in Ravenswood and I know that the event has been reimagined this year so it's currently underway correct the walking audio tour launched last week on September 30th and um, this episode is actually airing as a bonus episode so we can make sure that everybody knows what's happening this weekend, October 9th through the 11th. So can you tell us a little bit about the new format for Thirsty Years and how folks can engage this year? Yeah, it's exactly like what Christy was talking about. I mean, one of the things about Thirsty Years we said from the beginning was, uh, you know, of course, it, and this is our fundraiser, by the way. I mean, we're, we're not a black tie gala type of organization. We, we knew that from the beginning. One of our, um, you know, 
challenges as a nonprofit is we don't really know very many rich people. <laughs> so the street festival is a fun way, you know, to, to serve our mission, but also it's our annual fundraiser. Um, but that said, we never wanted to have vendors that weren't related to our mission, you know, so we didn't want like big corporate vendors. We really were um, sticklers about that they would be people from the community, people related to classical music or people related to the arts or creativity. So when we knew we were going to reimagine it, the first thing we were thinking about was, was our, our vendors, our people, our community. How do we include them in a way that's meaningful? And so um, I, I had already been, uh, ACM has been doing stuff with Open House Chicago and, and a, a similar thing in Milwaukee called Doors Open for years, where we commissioned composers to write music inspired by different spaces. And then we put the musicians in the spaces to play the music. And so I thought, well, why not do that on a hyper-local level? I mean, we'll, we'll reach out to several different historical or um, you know, artistic, cultural um, sites in the neighborhood and uh, composers can write very short pieces inspired by those spaces and we'll put together an audio walking tour and then just by luck I mean I, you know you have the idea but then you're like well how the heck are you going to do this I'm not a you know programmer I can't make this app um, but by sheer luck I met a couple who started an app called Gesso that's uh, primarily in New York City but they're starting to move into other cities and they were very interested because I'm talking about creating really high level content for a city that they're not in yet, you know, Chicago. So they let us use the tech for free, which was awesome. So people have to download the Gesso app, um, but then, you know, and we got narrators from either the sites themselves or something related. So for Giddings Plaza, for example, we got somebody from the Lincoln Square Chamber of Commerce. Uh, for the, the Kurt Teich Postcard Factory, those are those postcards from the 40s and 50s with the huge block letters that say like, greetings from Chicago, you know, those ludicrously optimistic, awesome postcards. Uh, I got somebody from the Newberry Library where the collection is now housed to do that narration. So the narrations are really, in my opinion, they're really meaningful. And they range from things like, you know, longtime neighbor, Little Street Art Center, um, to Carl Sandburg's house where he wrote the Chicago poems. And we got the head of the Ravenswood Historical Society to do that narration. You know, so, I mean, like Christy said, these are, these are places that I personally have walked by, like the All Saints Church, we're right across the street from it. I mean, for 13 years now, I didn't know it was Chicago's first wood frame church. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it burned down three times over the years. And that's why they stopped, that's why they outlawed wood frame churches, you know? Like finally the city was like, come on guys, no more of these. Um, and All Saints, you know, I, I knew, I remember when they restored it, I didn't realize that, I mean, that they won the Richard Driehaus Award, you know, for restoration that year, that they did such a nice job with the restoration on it. I mean, so to learn these things and, and, and uh, you know, and people can take the tour, you can download the app and just sit at home and listen to it, but we're hoping you go and stand in front of the buildings. You know, it takes about uh, two and a half, maybe two to two and a half hours, depending on how fast you're going to do it all. But that's why we made it available September 30th, so you could do it in, in bits as well. Exactly. Yeah, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily have to do it all in one afternoon. In fact, it'll live on Gesso even after this coming weekend. So oh, that's great. That's yeah. Great. So it's out there for everybody. I mean, of course, we hope people will buy a ticket or make a small donation for us. We, we, we paid everybody who was part of it. But, um, you know, it's also it's a way to really give back to our community, celebrate the community. Um, Chrissy did a great job finding neighborhood businesses who offered incentives to folks. So when you unlock a site, so to speak, um, at the end, there's a QR code you can scan for a, um, you know, a special offer from, say, the Grafton Pub or, or some of our uh, uh, other people in the, in the area. Because so let's be honest, we're all hurting. I mean, we all know this. And so Thirsty Years this year is not just about us. I mean, it really isn't. We're hoping to make a little money. We're hoping to, we, we can keep you know, I get another month behind us and just stay alive. But we're hoping the same for the people that, that uh, are in our community that we care about quite a lot. 
And what can you tell us about the um, live performance element that's happening this weekend specifically? Um, babies are welcome. So <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> She's so cute. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a little different, of course. I mean, you know, on Wilson Street, um, I mean, we, we have a, a, a different budget, you know, so as part of it is a, is a bit of scale, you know, we'll, we'll be scaled down a little bit. But um, performance wise, I'm, I'm very pleased. I mean, we have a, a four time Grammy winning cellist uh, in Nick Fotinos uh, playing on Sunday afternoon. We've got, uh, I mean, yeah, people that, that have played with the Chicago Symphony people. I mean, it's, it's, it's just as, as top notch as the programming ever is. I mean, the caliber is very, very high. We'll be in the VIN 312 parking lot, which people may know better as Band of Bohemia. Um, so that's a really nice uh, landscaped parking lot. You know, I went and looked at several different parking lots and, and was, you know, it ranged from like puke, no way to like, oh, that's very nice, <laughs> you know. So I was really pleased that they came on as our partner. Um, Empirical Beer will be our beer partner again. Um, so beer will be available to order on your phone and we'll, we'll bring it to you. We're being very careful with social distancing. And the $20 ticket now includes access to uh, the entire weekend, as long as on the website, there's uh, these little radio buttons. So you just tell us which shows you want to come to, because we just need to keep it down to about 40 people for each one. So we're being very careful with social distancing, sanitizing the chairs, making sure that, that our people are safe, um, but also that they can get out. And, and uh, I, I really I can't say it enough. We need this human connection right now. We, we need to hear live music and, and see it and, and uh, you know, have that connection as long as we can do it safely. So we're, we're definitely committed to doing this at the highest level that, that we've always been able to do it at. And I think actually musicians right now are so hungry to be able to perform. And I've been seeing already on social media, like the musicians that are performing, they're already amazing musicians. In any circumstances, they'd be doing beautiful performances. But there's like a particular energy that I think is brought to it in these current circumstances that everybody's so pumped to be able to play live for a real audience instead of, you know, staring at themselves on a stream. Um, so we're, I think it's going to be a really special event. And can you speak more to the hours of the performances during the weekend? Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to kick it off on Friday, October 9th uh, with a really, really special night. Um, if, if folks are up for it, the marquee ticket is a little bit more expensive. It's 30 per person, but it includes, um, it includes access to the Sound of Silent Film Festival. So at six, uh, a group called the Growlers, it's five double bassists, if you can imagine that. I mean, those, you know, big basses. <laughs> it's acoustic basses. It's five of those. Um, and these guys um, are from the Chicago Symphony. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal players. It's going to be really great. After that, we're doing the, uh, the, the 10 audio tour pieces. We're going to do them live. Um, then we'll take a short break and Santa Silent Film starts at 8 o'clock. So um, that's on Friday. And then Saturday, we start at 2 o'clock and it goes till 7.30. And that's the same on Sunday as well. And it ranges from uh, you know, solo percussion to uh, a set that I'm doing uh, with, with a flutist, actually our own uh, Trevor Patricia Watkin with ACM, uh, my friend Jason Randipsch on cello, so flute, cello, piano, um, to uh, a quartet later on in the day. And then Sunday night, it ends with a group called Black Oak Ensemble, which is, I was really happy to get them again this year. They're, they're just a phenomenal group, uh, violin, viola, and cello, so a string trio. Um, they were up for a Grammy last year for um, a, an album they did. And uh, they're just, I mean, they're worth the price of admission alone, which is what we always say with Thirsty Ears, you know, too, normally is like, 
these groups would normally cost you 30 to 50 bucks, you know, or the symphony is going to cost you 60 to 70 and, and you get to see them, you know, for 20 have access to the whole weekend and, and support a, a local music school. So we hope people will, will come out and check it out. And Chrissy, you mentioned, you know, some positives that have come out of shifting to online classes for students. Can you talk more about what that looks like? Um, for me, one of the big things that I've, I've always been really curious about how kids are engaging with music these days, um, how they're listening to it. And it's hard to get a straight answer from kids under normal circumstances. So I kind of uh, use the opportunity to introduce vinyl and the idea of listening to records and like holding music in your hands, but also had them bring, we started doing like a musical show and tell and so they bring in a song too and share it with me in the format that they normally would listen to it in. And it's created all of these great conversations about music that we weren't having otherwise. Like, I think it's really, when everything stays the same, it's easy to kind of get in a groove and like keep going along the same way. But I think needing to shift gears has really brought a new level of um, creativity and engagement to lessons. I want to say I really like the uh, virtual recitals that we've been doing, you yeah. know, and we've always struggled with this where, you know, not I, mean, I was one of these kids myself, it took me years to get comfortable on stage. Now you can't get me off the stage, you know, but I mean, <laughs> in the old days, um, I was so nervous. And I think these virtual recitals are a great way for kids like that who are a little nervous to ease into performing because they can they can redo the video and they can present it exactly the way they want to and I can't believe the creativity I mean you know not every kid just does themselves at the piano like I mean some of them put these elaborate <laughs> you know visuals to the music that they're playing which is uh, so fun and it's exactly what we're all about and the same thing with the Multitudi Festival where they all write their own music and then create these videos and normally we show them at the Davis Theater uh, which is a big deal for them. But, you know, to present it virtually, you know, it still felt, I mean, we really worked hard to make it special for people to say, you know, although we're not at the Davis Theater, this is still about your work. It's about your work being presented to people. And, you know, now grandma and Phoenix can see it too. And I think that that's been a big, a big plus. And we're talking about, I mean, what elements are we still going to do virtually when this is over, we hope, at some point. And uh, the recitals, I think, are definitely a winner in that category. And I think Multitudi as well. We'll do it in person at the Davis and then probably present it virtually for family members afterwards. Yeah, it's sort of um, kind of forced us to widen our reach a little bit more than, than we would have um, under normal conditions. So that is, that is a, a giant positive that we can, you know, we can share experiences with folks that, you know, are in all over the world so that's you know it, it, we're, we're getting zoom fatigue and that's true but it's in one place there, there's always a place where we won't have zoom fatigue because we've been looking at pictures of our of our loved ones all of our lives or looking at you know or listening to record i used to send recordings of myself playing piano to my grandpa when i was five you know and he would put them on his tape deck and listen to them people will always tune in virtually to watch their one of their loved ones <laughs> you know um and we're not asking them to buy a ticket or anything so like you know yeah i mean w as far as our concerts we can't wait to get back to doing them in person. We'll probably add a, some kind of streaming component to spread it beyond. But as far as the school goes, I mean, streaming is almost now a, a, a must, you know, after this. Yeah, when students go out of town, I've had several, um, over the summer, a lot of times kids will take the summer off because they're going out of town. And uh, I've had several parents say that like, oh, now we don't have to do that. We can just bring a keyboard with us or most of the time there's somewhere that there is a keyboard anyway, so.
Um, that's also a major perk that it's very mobile. I certainly appreciated the the fact that I don't have to drive my son to his music lessons anymore. He actually takes a piano from uh, Joel Steisens, who I know has played Thirsty Years. So. Yeah, he's sharing the set with me, actually. Uh, okay. Joel, I've known Joel for a long time. And I'm just curious. I, I, so I live right by ACM and the church you were just talking about. We walk by it pretty much every day. <laughs> so I walked by your space yesterday, and I know that it's like kind of blacked out. So are, you're not taking any public visitation, stop in anything right now? Or is the storefront space still accessible to folks if they want to learn more information? Or is the best place to just kind of head to your website at this point? We're, we're doing some very limited in-person lessons in our Rogers Park space. Um, but Ravenswood is built out. That was always our busiest space and, and it's built out into small rooms. And so we are um, not doing any in-person. In fact, we're, we're using this time to uh, do a remodeling project. So um, we're, we're going to actually have a little coffee bar in the, in the waiting area. And uh, we reduced the number of rooms, we made them a little bit larger. Our landlord very graciously bought us a $10,000 HVAC to bump up the airflow like crazy. Um, so, I mean, we're planning to, to hopefully do some in-person lessons in January. I mean, like, like everybody, you're always balancing the safety of, of your people with your need to, to, you know, to stay alive and keep your teachers employed and, and all of that. I mean, it, it's been a tricky year for everyone. We all know that. Um, we, we hope to uh, get back to in-person lessons next year as, as long as we can keep everybody safe. And how did your outdoor, I know you were doing some lawn concerts this summer as well um, at a nearby church. How did all those go? And do we, can we look forward to any other programming that's sort of different beyond thirsty years in, into um, the winter time? I know it's a little tricky with the weather changing, but. The lawn concerts were our friends, uh, Chamber Music at Bethany. That wasn't us. Um, we, we, we did- oh, sorry. Uh, I think I saw that maybe in your window then. You were yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we support them. We love them. They're, they're marvelous people. In fact, they're playing on Thirsty Ears. Um, we have a great relationship with uh, Chamber Music at Bethany. Um, but um, yeah, they, they, their last one was uh, last Friday. So they're done. As for us, for the winter, I'm still thinking it through. We, we, when the uh, pandemic first hit, we were trying to think of some programming that we could do that um, you know, didn't require people getting together and didn't eat up too many resources because you don't know what ticket sales are gonna be like. And, and, you know. um, and we launched a, a classical music lecture series. So, so I gave it, uh, Christy did these wonderful graphics for it and it was called Classical Excursions. And it was basically just a way to, I was talking primarily about um, old composers, you know, but again, I, what I realized is, is uh, people don't really know that much, even about the big figures. I mean, so we tried to find a way to talk about this music, give you kind of background into it in a way that was fun and accessible and, um, you know, not overly serious with, with a focus on the music. And our tech director figured out on Zoom how we could share the music with people and it actually went really well. So I'm thinking, you know, I was originally going to launch that in November um, there's some uncertainty around the election and our president's health at the moment, as we all know. So I'm waiting to see how that all shakes out. We want to do it in a way that's respectful and, and you know, uh, as long as people have the headspace and wavelength for it, uh, bandwidth, I mean, you know. So yeah, we may launch the, the Classical Excursion series again. Otherwise, our, our next big thing is probably the Sound of Silent Film Festival, which is usually in March. So um, my guess is we're going to get our school opened up buy the stuff we need for the coffee shop, you know, get the furniture figured out. It's, it's going to be kind of a new school, actually, in Ravenswood. 
Um, and then we'll do Santa Silent Film in March and then cross our fingers that we can get going again uh, in the spring with, with some uh, concerts. Well, we, we spoke to the fact that their series is a fundraiser for you, but what are the best ways for folks to engage and support you during this time? I think uh, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I mean, for, for us, we, we really hope that, that what we do for the neighborhood with Thirsty Ears, with the concert series at the Davis, with uh, lessons right here at the school. So many of our students ride their little scooters or bike up or walk up to their lessons, which we really like a lot. Um, I mean, if that's meaningful, people, they can always make a donation on our website at acmusic.org. Uh, they, they can definitely sign up for the things that we do. We'll have a text to donate out at the parking lot uh, at Thirsty Ears. And, um, you know, they can certainly take lessons with us. It's a monthly commitment. So you're not signing away your life, uh, which is nice. <laughs> um, again, right now, um, we have limited in person in Rogers Park. And uh, in Ravenswood, we're doing virtual, which uh, I think our, our teachers have really excelled at doing, actually. They've found some really great ways to, doing, to do that. And we're doing the recitals almost every other month. And then, yeah, I hope they'll check our website in the, in the fall and in, in November, and uh, hopefully we can launch the, the classical excursion series. So, if, you know, it's only 10 bucks per lecture. So it's really, really affordable. And if you have any kind of interest in classical music, you're going to come away knowing a little bit more. Uh, it's a great way to spend a Saturday afternoon on a, on a you know, probably cold, not so great <laughs> November day. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it really helps us out. So hopefully that's something people will, will think about doing. And before we kind of get to, we have some rapid fire questions we're going to ask you both um, to have a little fun at the end of the podcast. But I wanted to kind of speak to um, kids learning an instrument for the first time. Um, how does that work with these online classes? Um, if they've never picked up the instrument before or, um, you know, played, played the piano before, how is, how is that working? Do you have any first time students who have joined you during the pandemic? Christy, I'll let you do that one. Yeah, I have not had any new first-time students in this setup, but I've talked to a lot of the teachers that are working with, especially particularly young students. And we have we in person we're always using music games to engage students, but we also are doing that virtually. So a lot of the games you'll have them have the pieces to like there's board games that connect with the notes and everything and um, connecting with finding the notes on the piano. Um, you can do all of those same sorts of things, but they are almost more in control of what they're doing, which is for little kids, they feel like they have, you know, they're being big kids by having more control over what's going on. So they get to move their piece and they get to move your piece too, because it's all on their side. Um, so all of the teachers have done a really great job of engaging um, younger and newer learners to, with instruments. I would say too with young kids, I mean the first few lessons are all just about discovery and exploration. I mean we open up the piano and have them look inside. How does this thing work? You know, if you're going to play this instrument, what are these things? These are the hammers, they hit the string, they're attached to these keys, you know. We talk about the vibration of sound, the, the bigger the string is, the lower the sound, you know. This idea of high and low to them is, is uh, kind of baffling because they get it spatially, but to get it tonally is a totally different thing. And those are all things you can do online. Um, I would say that it really helps when the parent is as engaged as possible because they're, they're often the ones holding the camera, the phone, what have you. They're the ones, if you're going to open the piano, they're the ones who look and we have to make sure the teacher can see what's going on. 
Uh, it's definitely something we're thinking about when we reopen in Ravenswood. We know that some percentage of our business will be online going forward. I mean, like Chrissy said, someone might be on vacation. They want to do their lesson online. Uh, you know, they might just like not feel like getting dressed that day. <laughs> they want to stay home, whatever it is. So we're really thinking like, well, how can we equip our rooms so that we have the best possible setup so we can do pretty much everything, including hopefully to a, to a certain extent, play with them, um, you know, have them explore the instrument in a way that's meaningful. But for young kids, it's mostly patterns. I mean, you know, they're, they're already learning about patterns So the two black notes, the three black notes, high and low, just getting kind of spatially oriented on the piano is really, really important. And then I can't say it enough in the early years, you know, early part of the lessons is rhythm, 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 rhythm. <laughs> I mean, so lots of games around clapping, lots of games um, where they just play one note and we can flesh it out, harmonize it, make it sound really good, you know, just keep them really engaged, like that was really fun. I mean, if, if you throw the treble clef at a, at a four-year-old, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just not gonna work, you know, it's almost torture. I mean, so we don't do that. It's, it's more about creativity and exploration and we'll gradually incorporate note, note reading down the road. Well, thank you for um, all of your information and for, um, I feel like a lot of our listeners are local to Andersonville, but we do have people in the surrounding area who listen as well. So. Who knows, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe you'll have some future students or parents of students tuning into this episode and um, kind of understanding that, you know, even though right now is a difficult time, like as you said, it's opened this, this door to being able to reach students in a whole new way and hopefully even new locations. So um, thank you for sharing that information with us. Are we ready for some rapid fire, Laura? I think so, do you wanna kick us off? Sure. Um, so Seth and Christy, feel free to both answer this. Um, as you know, rapid fire is just meant to kind of first answer that pops into your head. Um, we're kind of trying this new format with closing the episode just to make it fun and a little bit uplifting and to learn a little bit more about you both as well. So who inspired you when you were younger and who inspires you now? Did you have a mentor? Oh, Christy? <laughs> um, actually, growing up, I, I'm... Right now, I'm not a particularly religious person, but growing up, I first got involved in music in a big way through church. And um, there's a, a nun in Springfield, Sister Frances Mary, who was a big mentor for me growing up. She gave me the opportunity to sing in front of people and um, was always really encouraging, but also the kind of person that like you knew you had to work hard to impress. Um, and I think now, man, it's hard to pick. There's so many great musicians out there. Um, and really, I mean, honestly, our students are always kind of inspiring too, to see like, I have a seven-year-old student who's like writing, writing a song based on this crazy story that she came up with um, and is like, you know, does the best sad trombone impression I've heard from anyone, adult or child, that's being incorporated into the story quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's also a nice thing about what's happening right now is everybody's kind of engaging online. So I feel like every day I can see a live stream from like people who I would normally not get to see a concert from except maybe once a year. Um, and I can just see them in their living room now too. Um, 
Yeah, I would, you know, I agree with that. Like, uh, I mean, for me that, you know, there's so many people inspired me when I was young. The person that, that uh, changed my life though was a fellow student. I mean, I was trying to be a piano major and uh, I, I ran into a, another student and asked him what his major was. And he said composition. And uh, I, I didn't, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? You know, English composition? He's like, no, not writing, like writing music. And I said, no, all the composers are dead. You, you can't do that. And he's looking at me like I'm insane. He's like, you, know, you can be a composer. And so that was like this life changing because my piano teachers, you know, they always acted like you could only play, you know, once the music was on this paper, it was holy writ and nobody else, you know, could ever do it. Um, that was huge. And then I, I agree with Christy. I mean, like, as I get older, I find myself so inspired by younger people. I mean, like with the, the millennial generation, I mean, you know, I, I'm Gen Xer solidly. And like, maybe we got it from our parents, but we just didn't talk about stuff. You watch those old 80s movies and, you know, it's like this perfect utopia, except there's all this crap under the surface that people just aren't talking about. And the millennials kind of brought a lot of that up and it's a difficult time right now, but it all has to be addressed. And so I find that very inspiring in a lot of ways that it's not going to be easy. It's, it's tough, you know, but hopefully we can, we can work through it. And to a lighter note, um, do you prefer to sing in the car or the shower? And do you have a favorite song to sing? I let my driver's license expire during COVID. <laughs> I don't, so, so I don't sing in the car. <laughs> shower only. <laughs> but everything sounds better in the shower. Everything sounds better with, with tile on the wall. <laughs> shower, for sure. Yeah, better acoustics. And what artist or artists do you admire? currently or in the past? Oh, wow. Gosh, that's a big one. Uh, for me, it, it's a conductor composer, a guy named Esapekka Salmanen, who is, uh, he, he used to come to Chicago a lot and, and lead the music now, the CSO's Contemporary Music Series. And he's so um, skilled in, in so many different ways. And yet he's the most approachable guy. And uh, I, I was in Helsinki, I used to work for WFMT and we were in Helsinki for a festival. And I ran into him at like midnight after a concert. And I just seen him conducting a couple of hours ago. And now we're in this bar and he's, you know, half in the bag and he's the most approachable, nice guy. And I thought, oh my God, this, and he's going to get up tomorrow and like lead some major orchestra somewhere in the world. And right now I'm having a beer with him. I mean, it was just super cool. That, that, that mix of, of so skilled. Um, and yet like on stage, he's so charming. And then in person, he was, uh, he was pretty great as well. Um, I feel like I keep, the name that keeps coming to mind is like Theo Blackman. He's a great singer and does things across all genres and um, super creative. And also uh, Michael Mayo is a, a singer who's super young and is posting stuff on social media because that generation is so good at that. Um, but he was on tour with Herbie Hancock recently. And since COVID has happened, I'm always like eagerly awaiting his next post on Instagram. Now, do you have a favorite music score from a movie? Oh my God, there's so many. I love The Incredibles, <laughs> actually. It's such a, a high octane jazz score. It's like incredible. Um, and I watched The Incredibles too. I know there's like kids stuff, but what can I say? Um, I don't have kids, so I was there for myself. Um, but uh, yeah, and the score was just fantastic. Aside from that, I, I, anything by Bernard Herrmann for the Hitchcock, the old Hitchcock films, those are also just these wild, wonderful, coloristic scores. If he wants you to feel dread, you do. I mean, you're, you're in his hands entirely, <laughs> much like you are with Hitchcock. I mean, it's a perfect marriage of, of music and image. I, I really, I know it's, 
a little cheesy, but I love the score to Amelie. I love Jan Tiersen's um, arrangements for movies. It's always super memorable and um, puts you in kind of a happy place with, no matter what mode you're in beforehand. Yeah, I love that movie so much. How has uh, living music-filled lives, as you both do, helped you through the current pandemic? Well, the short answer is I can walk over here and play the piano <laughs> anytime, which is so helpful. It's so therapeutic. I mean, to just, you know, zone out because you, you can play. There's so many ways you can play. You can practice something that you don't know, in which case it's all of your attention and you're, you're, you're writing in what, what fingers you're going to use. And you're really, I mean, you're playing the same phrase over and over again and, and you're really thinking about it. And then there's just playing songs that you know that you know how to play, you don't have to think about it at all. It's just pure pleasure and enjoyment. And then there's a kind of meditative thing where you just let your fingers do whatever they want and let your mind wander. Um, and uh, I rarely do the first kind because I'm mentally lazy, but the other two I do a lot. <laughs> and it's, it, is, uh, it is very therapeutic. Um, and I think that like music just has so many inspiring stories in it. There's so many artists, I mean, you know, especially, uh, I mean, artists of color who, who have had so many different uh, issues that they've had to transcend and, and they keep coming back to, I'm going to write the best music that I can. And I find that very inspiring. I mean, and that's a question that we've all been asking a lot of artists. I mean, is what we do important right now? I mean, because, you know, we, we, we don't know how to do other things necessarily. Like, this is what we're going to do. It's what we train for. I mean, I'm 48 years old now. This is what I've been doing, I'm not gonna shift and, and, and uh, you know, do something else. So that's a question we wrestle with. And at the end of the day, I just come back to it and say, no matter what happens to the human race, I, you know, I mean, not to be, <laughs> we're gonna be okay, I think. But no matter what happens, I do think that music is uh, an art of all kinds. I mean, it's expression. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's how you walk a mile in someone else's shoes. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the most important things that we do. So I think that constant reminder just helps me when things seem rough to just be like, you know, yeah, this is important and, uh, and, and it's very soothing as well many times. Yeah, similarly, I would say like days where you get sucked into the news feed and everything. I mean, everything is so stressful right now. Um, and I find myself, some of my normal, just like uh, relaxing outlets of watching TV and stuff. And um, even the books that I've been reading lately are a little too in keeping with the other stressors in life and feel a little too real. Um, and music is like one of the few things that I can just relax and take my mind off of things and just zone out in in the moment, have a musical, have a, an emotional outlet. Um, I think too, having done some live performing outdoors and it being like long spaces of time in between those, it, it feels more important now than it did before, just because it's such a, such a human connection and such a visceral connection with other people, both the musicians that you're making music with and also the people that you're making the music for. Um, everything feels bigger in these circumstances, I think, but music feels more important. Yeah, I think that's um, just a very good point of, you know, how the struggle to kind of fight for the arts and fight for arts programming, fight for arts funding, and 
you see in this time of the pandemic where you're just like, no, these are the things that we need. And this is what will unify us all. And this is what, you know, keeps our soul alive. So, um, yeah, so hopefully, you know, once we bounce back out of this, that, that, you know, that, that importance will, will kind of shine through. I think so too. We may have different political views, but you know, I mean, we can sing a Bon Jovi song together, you know, (laughs) you know, we have, we'll always have that. (laughs) Okay. Um, on to the next question. It is, what is one piece of advice you can offer to a young budding classical musician out there? Hmm. Um, I, I would just say, I mean, I think find the, the best teachers that you can find. And if your teacher, a lot of people can teach you technique, you know, but if, if, but if your teacher isn't right for you, uh, isn't a good fit, you know, I, I almost want to say spiritually, I, I really want to say that word, and then, then you should switch teachers because that's really important that you have a connection with your teacher. I mean, um, I cycled through many, many teachers over the years and uh, I always thought, you know, this person's so mean to me, but I'm getting better at my instruments, so I should stay with them. But that's not true. <laughs> There's tons of people who can make you better at your instrument who won't be mean to you. Um, you know, that's just, it's, it's uh, that whole thought of teaching that way, I think has been discredited entirely. And the second thing is, I think, you know, again, for, especially for performers, they spend so much time in the practice room, as they should. I mean, they, you know, they want to be the best, they want to be as good as they can. It's really important, but it's equally important to nourish human relationships and, and to uh, to go to shows, to meet people. Um, I mean, you know, both as a career, you know, for your career, because that's where you know that's where things happen. Uh, the Marx Brothers got most of their movie deals when when uh, Chico Marx was playing poker. You know, I mean, it wasn't like you know on set or anything. I'm not saying you should play poker, but I'm just saying that you know nurture human relationships as well because they're really important career-wise, but also. Uh, they're, they're important on, on a human level as well. And at the end of the day, we're making music. It's an art. It, it's about how you interpret all those black dots on the page, not necessarily how well you play them. I mean, like Vladimir Horowitz is his most famous pianist, one of the most. Uh, for me, his last recordings, when he, his physicality is starting to go away a little bit, uh, but, but he knows the music so well now. Those are my favorite recordings because, I mean, he is communicating at a high le- you know, the highest level possible. Yeah, he drops a note here and there. It doesn't matter. I mean, and by the same token, you have people who play perfectly and they, they don't seem to understand the music at all. They haven't spent any time thinking about the, the circumstances the composer was in, what the person is communicating and what they themselves bring to it as the interpreter of this music. So, and that comes from just being around humans <laughs> and developing the human side of, your, of yourself. It's not all practicing as important as that is um i would say write music no matter what level you're at no matter um if the goal doesn't have to be to make something great but i think you challenge yourself in a different way when you try to put something down on the page and when you try to approach music in a creative way and make something new um so writing at any level, composing at any level, and creating at any level is always important. You tap into a whole other side of your musicianship that way. And we had another question to um, to close this out, but I think I'll switch it to the dinner party question. You can have only deceased musicians at your dinner party. Who would you have? You can, you can have up to three. Who would you like to have at your dinner party and why? Uh, 
That's always funny because the people that I immediately think of are the most interesting musicians, but maybe not the most interesting dinner party guests, you know? Like the first person I thought of was Thelonious Monk. I want Thelonious Monk at my dinner party. And then I'm like, do you really want Thelonious Monk at your dinner party? Because, you know, I mean, he was a genius. He was borderline autistic. He might've been a very strange dinner party. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's such an interesting human being just to even be in a, in a room with him. So Thelonious Monk for sure would be somebody I think very, very interesting. Um, by the same token, I, I think on, on the classical realm, I mean, uh, I don't know, that's, that's a tough one. There's so many people, Leonard Bernstein definitely comes to mind. I mean, who wouldn't wanna drink way too much wine with Leonard Bernstein? Um, so Leonard Bernstein, Thelonious Monk, and I need a third one, dead. Uh, I'm gonna go with Nina Simone. In a similar, in a similar sentiment, my first thought was Charles Mingus, uh, super creative, but also like kind of crazy at like I, I've he was in interviews where he got a shotgun out and shot through the ceiling of his apartment um but that would make for a really entertaining dinner party like things are lively that way um Billie Holiday just because I've read a ton about her and there's so much conflicting information about her um I would just want to hear from the horse's mouth like the actual facts of her life. Um, and Maria Griever is a composer. I've just been kind of digging into her music lately. Um, and she had just a super fascinating life. She was born in Mexico and then moved to Spain and um, then moved to America. So uh, yeah, she would be really good company at a dinner party, have a lot to talk about and probably good advice on wine. Would she have a shotgun though? <laughs> no, but she could borrow <laughs> Yeah. <Mingus's>. Right, right. <laughs> well, thank you, Seth and Christy, for being here. Oh, we thank appreciate you. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Thirsty Ears Music Festival and ACM programming, please visit acmusic.org. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded via Zoom. We thank you for your listenership, and if you like the podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our production. Please email us at info at andersonville.org for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying always Andersonville.